0: Does the presence of dark ships near the vicinity of the Nord Stream pipeline explosions distract from revelations about U.S. government being to blame? If Germany knows the U.S. was responsible for orchestrating the sabotage, why is the European country collaborating to cover it up? How has journalism in the 60s and 70s changed to marginalize in the present even the most stupendous journalists today? What motivated the normally law abiding state of Russia to wage an aggressive military operation on Ukraine if it was not visibly under attack? This week on the Global Research News Hour, with the story of the destruction of the major natural gas pipelines being orchestrated by Washington, we dig deep into this exclusive report by none other than the journalist himself, Seymour Hirsch. With an interview taking up the lion's share of the hour, he discusses the attack, the lack of interest by players at the UN for an independent and non-partisan investigation, and also the fading of the popularity of his work among mainstream papers and reporters. As well, he mentions his thoughts about the My Lai massacre that won him a Pulitzer Nearly 55 years after it happened. In the final phase of our show, we will also hear from a friend and colleague of his, former CIA analyst Ray McGovern, about how he makes sense of Russia's behavior over the past year and what is likely to happen in the future. On this week's program, Deconstructing the Obvious from Milai to Nord Stream, interview with a legendary muckraker. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of March 10th, 2023. The program is funded by the Centre for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. I'm your host, Michael Welch show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers researchers and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media our shows are features on partner radio stations across canada and the united states and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca We acknowledge that this show was produced on the traditional territory of the Nishinabe, Ininu, Oji Ojibwe, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. Settlers have to reconcile with the fact that their ancestors accessed and developed the land and water without the legal support of the indigenous people who were here first. This understanding begins a long process of reconciliation for all. We now bring you News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. After 17 years of rule by the Alliance, a conservative party controlled by the Chiefs, a new coalition, had won a fair election. Indians joined forces with labor unions and urban intellectuals won a parliamentary majority and put Timuchi Bivadra in charge. He was Fijian, but most of his support was Indian. Fear of their future dominance was a handy excuse to overreact. One month later, Rabuka closed parliament at gunpoint and brought the old administration back. That comes from the article Fiji's Pacific Ways Troubles in Paradise by Greg Guma, posted March 9th, originally published on the author's blog site. Greg Guma for Preservation and Change. The paper was published September 21st, 2022. COVID 19 Vaccines, an Australian review was published in the Peer-Reviewed Scientific Literature on September 21, 2022. Here's the two sentences from the paper that everyone should read. A worldwide Bayesian causal impact analysis suggests that COVID-19 gene therapy, or mRNA vaccine, causes more COVID-19 cases per million and more non-COVID deaths per million than are associated with COVID-19. An abundance of studies has shown that the mRNA vaccines are neither safe nor effective, but outright dangerous. That comes from the article, The mRNA Vaccines Are Neither Safe Nor Effective But Outright Dangerous, by Steve Kirsch, posted March 8th, originally published on Steve Kirsch's newsletter, The U.S. is trying to hijack the G20 for hegemonic purposes, and the negative efforts of the U.S. have sadly led to a catastrophe for the G20 in India. During an interview with Global Strategic and Defense News, the Indian scholar Dr. Preeti Sharma demonstrates how India is actually doing a very good job to solidify the work of the G20, and India is actively broadening the scope of institutions participating in this beyond the ministers. India is also doing a good job of seeking to involve the broader developing world, which must include Africa. So, India is doing a good job at preparing G20, but India has not prevented the U.S. from ramming and splitting the G20, which the U.S. is determined to do. That comes from the article, U.S. is trying to hijack forthcoming G20 meeting in India by Karsten Reist, posted March 8th. The proposed IHR amendments establish a global biosecurity architecture involving health surveillance, reporting and management, and we, the public, have no say in the matter. The amendments will be ready for adoption At the World Health Assembly in May 2024, a simple majority is required for the amendments to be adopted, after which they'll come into force in 12 months. The second attempt to seize global control is through an international pandemic treaty with the WHO. The treaty would grant the WHO the sole power to make decisions relating to global biosecurity, including, but not limited to, The Implementation of a Global Vaccine Passport Digital Identity, Mandatory Vaccinations, Travel Restrictions, and Standardized Medical Care. That comes from the article, Pandemic Treaty Will Usher in Unelected One World Government, by Dr. Joseph Marcola, posted March 8th, originally published on the Mercola website. (laughs) These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. On February 8th, Seymour Hirsch, perhaps America's most accomplished investigative journalist, wrote a story on his substack reporting that the attacks on the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines supplying Germany with Russian natural gas were indeed carried out by the United States. According to the report, the administration employed members of the U.S. Navy's diving and salvage center and had them plant C-4 explosives on the pipes in June under the cover of a NATO-Baltic operation exercise called Baltops 22. They then authorized the dropping of a sonar buoy in the water near where the explosives were planted, and sending a signal which caused the explosives to go off at the discretion of the president. Seymour Hirsch made his mark in 1969 and won the Pulitzer Prize in 1970 for exposing the My Lai Massacre and cover-up during the Vietnam War. Hirsch has earned numerous other awards, including the George Polk Award for five separate years, two magazine awards, and the George Orwell Award, Global Research got in touch with Cy Hirsch while he was in his home in Washington to expand more on his story and on some of the increasing pressures on investigative journalists in this day and age. The, the founder of, uh, of Space Node, Jerry Javernicki, reported that there were two dark ships in the vicinity uh, just a, a few days previous to when these uh, the, these attacks happened. And uh, Otto Tabens, the director of the Baltic Security Foundation, said it would not, quote, it would not be common practice to have AIS turned off unless the vessels have a declassified military mission or they would have some clandestine objectives because the Baltic Sea is one of the busiest seas in the world in terms of commercial traffic, unquote. So, I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your facts or anything like that, but I'm I'm saying that, uh, you know, is this a part of the the bigger picture you know uh or 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 is it just a maybe a a red herring i mean what what are your thoughts about that
1: i'm not sure what you're asking are you asking that are you asking that because there are others who do what work in open source intelligence have a different understanding well people in open source they've sort of quieted down the last couple of weeks but basically they said for example i describe an airplane an American uh, 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 surveillance airplane that was flown out of a, a base in Norway uh, was uh, to trigger the bombs. And they, the bombing—the bombing the took place on September the 26th. Uh, they were—they uh, were—they about sometime in the morning. They dropped a sonar uh, beam, which was going to go through. You know, you have to lose use very low frequency in water. Um, uh, high. Uh, uh, if you go to a high frequency, the water just absorbs it. Low frequency that hits a, 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 a receiver down below. There's 260 feet where the pipeline's then, and they trigger a device that triggers the explosions. It all takes 20, 30, 40. I don't know how long. You usually about two minutes for the divers to get out. Two hours rather for the, for the divers to get out for safety. So they usually set for 48 hours, but I have no idea what how long they set them for in this case. <laughs> and so the open source guys. They said there's no such plane there. And they also um, described uh, the the, uh, the ship I used. It was the Alter-class uh, minesweeper or mine layer. They're two different designs. Um, I don't remember which it was. One, one lays the mine and one finds it, hunts it. There's a mine hunter and a minesweeper. And they're slightly different. And um, one couldn't find that at any time it was compatible with the time I said that the explosion took place. And I will tell you about open source intelligence. I can just tell you what happened a couple of what ten days ago, more than that. Uh, our president, the President Biden, flew to uh, to see Zelensky. If you remember, they had a visit in. He went to he actually showed up in Kyiv Kiev and took a walk with him. Um, I don't know if you remember reading that, but it was in the newspapers. And the, the account was either in the Washington Post or the, or the New York Times account, a very detailed account of this security risk that he took. And it describes as the plane got into Poland, at some point it turned off their transponder. If you don't know what a transponder is, it's an IFF signal, IFF c- signal that all commercial, all planes have to use. So everybody knows where they are in case of a problem. They turned it off. Why did they turn it off? Because they didn't want to be seen. So maybe just the... The uh, American plane that dropped the boy on a very, very highly classified mission—maybe they did turn off their transmitter, rather than be—you know—open source intelligence doesn't see anything. When they talk about two dark ships, they're talking about images, electronic pulses. Yeah. And I can tell you that on a mission like this, and I've actually asked that question: uh, open source becomes a great asset because you can you can make up anything you could. The people in the intelligence community that I know of—this is a, the NSA was a national security agency was involved in this too. Um, the, the mission to uh, uh, build, uh, to give the president an option to bomb the pipelines—they um, could have recreated a major Japanese task force steaming towards um, Hawaii, you know, to, for Pearl Harbor. You know, they could have recreated anything they wanted in the water. So when you start talking about they couldn't track this and they couldn't track that, they're just ignoring the possibility that there are people that know exactly what open source intelligence does, and rather than ignore it, you use it as part of the cover. Of course, he didn't have his transponder on. Of course, he wasn't seen. Of course, the trip that the the uh, the Norwegian ultra uh, class minesweeper, or whatever it was, uh, was it, it could have been squawking on a different frequency. It turns out when you're given a code designated a code, you have to punch in the code. But you can punch in any code in an emergency. You don't have to punch in your own. You could fake it up. So I mean, it's that simple. Mm. But you know, you can't fight. You can't fight people who. Um, that's you know, and the whole source issue. Uh, I left some. I left some string in there that people in the White House. There were a couple of phrases I used. I knew used that they knew I had something going. You know, so they just deny the story. They're going to deny it. They're never going to admit it. I don't think the White House, how could they? Even if somebody came out and acknowledged that they did it, they would still say, no, we didn't do it. You know, you don't have a video of me doing it, whatever it is. So that's just, I've been in this business for 50 or 60 years, and I've never had anybody that who talked to me ever get in trouble. Mm. Never. That's because I take the heat on being opaque about sources. I say a source who has access to information. I don't indicate that there's no sign that anybody I knew actually was in a meeting, none whatsoever, and that's all purposeful. So it, it makes it, if you really don't want the story, it makes it sort of easier just to pretend that it, you know, it's just not a good story. Yeah. Uh, you know, the president, and when he went to Kiev, he took a walk at midday, and you know what happened? The um, the um, the uh, bomb, the bombing alarm signal. You know, the, you know, the sirens that indicated a, a, a Russian bombing. Was coming a Russian attack? The, the warning signal, you know. that uh, I guess you know. Um, I forget in World War II. I don't know what they called it. You know, there was just a, a you know the sirens would ring, and it hadn't rung in in uh, ten days before. It hasn't. I don't. I know for a few days afterwards it hadn't rung, but when they were taking a walk, the um, the, you know, the air, you know, the warning signals came out of an imminent air attack. And you know what I say? I say if I'd been a reporter, I would have said to the White House. Did you guys set it up so it rang when, when when he was walking in midday in the middle of Kiev so he could look more heroic? Because that's what I basically, that's the only explanation I have for it, because there was no air raid. So here comes all these air raid signs out and, and the press all writes about it. It's amazing. It, it's just like there's no skepticism about anything anymore wow. in the media. I worked at The New York Times for seven, eight years, and I published story after story. About important stuff, the CIA and the Yende and the, and the CIA spying on American citizens w- without naming a source. Yeah, there's no trouble then. You could do it. That's part of the business. To to get explicit about a source puts them in jail.
0: Yeah, well, let me just bring up the the point about how. I mean, yeah, you're you're definitely if nothing else. I mean, logic suggests. I'm just bringing up Star Trek's Mister Spock. Logic suggests that if anything else given your reputation for protecting uh whistleblowers and, and 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 accepting it and being vindicated you would think that this justifies a a, a further uh expansion of an objective investigation and I, I rec- recall uh, during uh, February 22nd to 24th I mean there was Jeremy Sachs and uh Ray, Ray McG Ray McGovern, a former CIA analyst, who are you know presenting a deposition to the UN Security Council, you know talking about uh, you know the need for a further investigation, and um, you know the, you know it seems like the uh, that uh, you know Russia wanted to have uh, the UN Security Council bring about a more objective uh, investigation because you know the the people are there, like uh, the, from Denmark and and Germany and, and Sweden, are saying, well, no, that we're doing our own investigation. But I mean, I, they, I mean, Russia was saying, well, we don't necessarily trust these, uh, these people who are kind of compromised belonging to NATO. And uh, yet the British representative was saying, well, actually the Russians are just trying to, uh, you know, stir up, a create a platform for spreading disinformation. They don't want objectivity. So, I, mean, I mean, I'm mean, i not gonna ask you which of those views you, you believe, but I, I think it does seem to suggest that, you know, it's not just the United States, like all of the NATO allies seem to be willing to collaborate with us. And I mean, I mean, what are your thoughts? Are, are, are they
1: well, I mean, being blackmailed
0: uh, or, or or what?
1: You know, what difference does it make what I think? Come on. <laughs> uh, what you're missing is the one of the most strident objections to an investigation came from the United States. Absolutely. Um, and uh, came from the U.S., and so um, um, that, to me, would be the most salient point, that the Americans don't want an investigation. Why doesn't anybody ask the White House, since the president of the United States, that we don't know what the president thinks. We just had a spokesperson say no, and a spokesperson for the CIA say no, it's a lie. Um, and um, um, I guess if I were, I would say to... If I, if I had a chance to ask a question to Mr. Biden, it seems to be in a controlled environment most of the time, which presidents are, that's legitimate. Uh, I would just say, well, you're president, and you didn't do what you say, and you, uh, you worry about Russia, but, you know, you're president. Why don't you ask your intelligence community? There's something called the ONI Office of National Intelligence, which is the, the top dog among all the dogs in the intelligence world. Why doesn't the t- term of art is called tasking? Why doesn't the president, why does you just task... The American intelligence community to do a deep study and tell you who did it because we monitor everything. We could find out who did it. You could ask the there's the the the, the guy that runs the intelligence office for, in the uh, for the old uh, for the director of national intelligence has access to everything. Everything, covert, non covert signals. Uh, the CIA has a branch called the Directorate of Intelligence that does great work. Uh, and another low level, if you have a group in the field, like there was in Norway, at that time, there's a special unit in the CIA that monitor, in the agency that monitors even local phone calls to make sure they're still covert, they're not being exposed. Or some neighbors are saying there's something funny going down, you know, across the street. <laughs> of course, they're on an island, but still. But And why didn't we ask that question? Why does anybody want to ask that question? I don't know why somebody in the, in the White House press corps doesn't. Well, you know. Maybe that, you know, I, I, when I was at the New York Times, I was given the honor uh, of being asked to be the White House correspondent. This is in the 70s. And I I was an investigative reporter. I didn't want to have a beat even at the White House. And I I was under pressure to do it on grounds. This is the way you could become a columnist and become a getter, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, they wanted me to do it. 73, 74 during Watergate. And I went for one day and I saw the press, record yell and scream at Ron Ziegler, who was then Richard Nixon's press secretary, yell and scream at him and call that reporting for the day. And after one day, I told Abe Rosenthal, the editor of the paper, that I don't want the job. I'm going on back to, I I won't cover the White House. It's not being a reporter. It's being a Yahoo. And um, they were very angry at me about it. So I eventually threatened to quit. And I got my way. I got taken off the beat and got back to being a reporter. There's something about the White House beat that's very insid- insidious because if you make trouble, you don't get access. That's what it's all about. Uh, apparently, a secret source now is the press secretary calling you into her office or his office with a senior official, who gives you a private briefing about something. And in you go with it, no questions asked. That's what's wow. passed for intelligence, they or good reporting. It's very sad, makes me sad. I was there in a different world when we were much more skeptical of every president.
0: Yeah. Well, I know. It, well, it just... I don't know where
1: this goes. I don't know where this goes with your I, I don't quite know where you're going with the questions. Why don't you ask me well, a basically, question?
0: Basically, I'm thinking that uh, I mean, if it if, if like everybody. I don't essentially... care
1: what you think. I don't care what you think. Tell me. Ask me a question. OK. Ask me a question that's something that I can answer without getting into what you think. OK. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> Okay. It doesn't It just you know we, we live in a no. world where we talk about what everybody else is saying. so just ask me the direct question i'll be glad to answer it
0: okay you look at germany okay this is a, an area where i mean they they were directly affected by this attack on the pipelines and yet in the the parliament nobody is talking about this report seriously uh of you they they're, not they're, so, they're discrediting you so.
1: no that's that's not so that's just not so i've been in the Bundestag, there's been a lot of debate. I mean, it's it's not a it's not a
0: well. There's the uh, AFD there's been... and the D-Link that were uh, saying, but most of the other people were like the, the government is saying that they wanted to to downplay it, you know, for for security reasons no, and such. No,
1: what they well, of course, the government wants to downplay it because they obviously know what happened
2: mm-hmm. and
1: don't can't admit they know. I mean, the whole the whole purpose of um, the, you have to know historically, since since the Kennedy days, there's been an enormous amount of worry of America in the Cold War, in our days of containment. That was the big theory, containment, containing the evil spread of communism, or the spread of evil communism. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and so they've always been worried about the enormous reserves of Russian gas and oil that they were selling to Western Europe, even back then. And pipelines were just beginning to go into Europe, and there was a lot of stuff, some through Ukraine, and there was a lot of worry constantly phrased again and again about russian russia weaponizing its gas cheap gas and oil uh for sale to germany and europe in order to get some leverage with them and the and to maybe diminish the power of nato or diminish the cohesiveness uh, no uh, western europe has no gas or oil no they they need raw materials from elsewhere and so uh a fair question would be, why did Joe Biden chose the, was the second pipeline, Nord Stream 2, uh, the first pipeline? And we're talking about pipelines that produce millions of Cuban, whatever it is, measurement of gas uh, hourly, daily. It's just an incredible amount of gas. The first pipeline went online in, in 2011, and over the next 10 years, uh, Germany became just wealthy, has so much cheap, very good gas, uh, clean gas. Uh, methane gas and it, 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 it's industries you know they have the largest chemical comp- plant in the world it's a chemical company in the world basf 100,000 employees they were going full gore uh, full bore you had um you had uh uh, uh the, the automobile dealers there, mercedes you know all those wonderful cars they make expensive bmw they're there they were big big industrial powerhouse and there was so much gas that the german government bought that gas at a fixed price from russia and was able to resell some of the gas russia was selling at a fixed price for more money downstream to other 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 distributors throughout western europe and make a profit from the gas that russians were making and russia let them do it putin if you want to say putin but this all began very early in his career 2009 the second pipeline Nord stream 2 was completed at the end of 2021, and at that point, uh, we, the the um, uh, the war was. It seems clear Russia was talking about going to war, and for whatever reason, it was sanctioned. the The, the government of um, uh, uh, Chancellor Scholz, who was just here in a mysterious visit to Washington, in which he never was had a public appearance except for a few minutes with the president. No big, no big deal. No dinner for him. Nothing. It was just a, sort of a secret visit i don't know what the purpose was maybe to have schultz show his face and uh and uh, not be asked any questions about anybody nobody he, nobody even had a chance to ask him about the plane but if you're covering the white house you don't want to ask those questions because you might not get called on again if you ask negative questions i know it sounds stupid but i've been there and i can tell you that's the way it is you want to make nice you want to be a good guy and anyway um um well you got the drift of what i'm saying
2: yeah
1: um that um um, um the Germans sure. have had a lot of debate about this.
0: Yeah. And
1: it's not done. When he takes out the pipelines in late September, um
0: it's an a act winter's of coming. Hmm. Well I mean it's an don't act know, of terror, I, don't know what
1: the, I I just don't know. I don't I'm just i hmm. did a lot of look I did a lot of law review reading to yeah. find out there's actually no fixed law that says yet that a pipeline Destroying it is a criminal offense. It clearly is, but hasn't been adjudicated because nobody's done it. There is log dating back to the 1884, about a telegraph line going across the ocean. If you interfere with that, overtly or inadvertently, you're guilty for damages. So we're talking about something that produces x x number of billions, and maybe that's the White House issue. They don't want to be in a court of, you know, it's just America. You know, uh, you could do all the UN investigations you want, but. We basically control a lot of institutions. You know, exceptionalism. America's exceptionalism is a big deal. So anyway, I'm I'm just saying that in Germany, um, uh, there is more consternation because what Biden did by knocking off the pipeline, in the the war by then was going to be a stalemate at best. It's certainly not going to be... Uh, you're not going to beat Russia. You know, He's in Stalingrad, gonna- in the last day of Stalingrad. They, the Russians lost 2,400 dead and wounded every four hours, and they beat Germany, the Nazis then. They're not going to lose that war. They're not going to win that war. And so I think by fall, that was clear to everybody. And I, I think Biden and his zeal to keep the war going, I think because it was politically useful to him. Americans, we love a president, in a war. Um, I, I think at that point, he chose to destroy the pipeline so that Chancellor Schultz, who controlled the new, that was the second pipeline called Nord Stream 2. He controlled, he had shut it down on request from us. He sanctioned it. So they had it was full of gas, 750 miles of methane gas. That's why he had such a big outpouring of gas. It hadn't it hadn't started delivering yet. It was just frozen. And um, but he had the power, the chancellor to unfreeze it. And I think Biden decided to take that away from him. And I think ultimately that's gonna be the big problem for Biden. Particularly, maybe next winter if it's a bad winter.
0: You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. I mean, you're seeing the people rising up on the outside in tens of thousands recently in, in, in Berlin. I mean, is this going to read, lead to the, not only the end of this war, but the end of, of dismantling NATO? Or, or or are they gonna perhaps do something else to maybe you know push up the uh, the pressure a little bit, maybe even a, a nuclear false flag or something like that? Well, what's
1: I I you know, I mean that's all um, I, there's no question that we haven't heard the end of the, of the destroying the pipeline. What Biden did is basically he told Europe, Germany and Western Europe, we've been we've had the backs of Western Europe and Germany since World War II. We helped rebuild it. We turned it into model democracies, which is a, they were. The European countries are fun to visit. They're, they're open, friendly. I mean, things are tense now because of immigration, et cetera, and crime. But basically, um, uh, they're, they're, um, um, Western Europe, is, if there was a success story for us after the war, uh, it was in Western Europe, um, in places like Greece and um, uh, particularly Greece and Italy, we were so crazy about the the extent of communism, we actually we actually sided with some of the people who fought for the Nazis, in Greece in particular, because they were anti-communists. I mean, after the war, we made a lot of horrible, really awful things we did in terms of anti-communism, but not in Western Europe. It was uh, left, and it became, we've always had their back. America has been the bulwark of the NATO and of, of of making sure that Europe was—we we spent a lot of money there as tourism. We helped build things deeply involved. And all that may be unraveled, because um, uh, Biden showed that when push came to shove, uh, if he he if if he thought that the Germans would uh, start taking Russian gas again by opening up the pipeline and thus have, have less incentive to help him in the war in our, uh, Ukraine— with money and tanks and planes, which they were reluctant to do after, particularly after what they did in World War II, they spent a decade burning, raping, and uh, destroying Western Europe. Um, and so there we are. Uh, uh, that's what it, ultimately. And your question, you know, you Who knows what's going to happen? It can't be good for the cohesion of Western Europe in terms of uh, supporting NATO. It can't be good for NATO. Even you know, will some countries want to withdraw from NATO? Who knows? I don't think it's going to be there. I just don't know. It doesn't matter what I think. I just know that um, uh, uh, it's going to get much tougher. Um, Germany, for, Germany survived this winter. It was a mild winter, and they also subsidize um, 20% and sometimes even more uh, the gas prices. But even so, it, it's hurt the German economy quite a bit. Um, uh, BASF, for example, has been talking to China about movies, some stuff there. And some of, I was just reading the other day and some of the largest uh, bakers with 12 ovens, you know, they made it, produce wonderful whatever it is that the Germans like. They like a lot of schnacken, schnacken, um goodies. Uh, shut down eight of the ovens because they did not have enough gas or couldn't afford to buy the gas. The gas has just jumped 20, 19% there. But in in Spain, in France, um People are paying as much as five five times as much for electricity, which is fueled by the determinants. Power turbines are fueled by gas. It's three to four times as much for natural gas and in Italy. That's going to happen to throughout Western Europe this winter. And that's when you're going to see some serious dislocation. Mm. The politics of, of the destruction of the gas line, whether it's an act of war or what. But it was a slap in the face of Europe. Say, you know, we don't. If you're not going to play ball with, with me in Ukraine, says the president, I don't care what happens there. Mm. I don't care what happens to you. If you, you know, I don't care if it's going to be harder for you to keep your people wealthy and warm. Basically, that's what he's done, and that's the real input of the story.
0: Your work was lauded in the '60s and the '70s and and, and beyond. But but now it seems suddenly unwelcome around a time when when you criticized. I believe Barack Obama over the the killing of Osama bin Laden and and the deceptive way his conclusions about the Syrian government using chemical weapons in Ghouta uh, when the Syrian opposition was also a likely target. I mean, what, in your view, has changed to the degree that your brand of of journalism is not as welcome at at the New York Times or the Washington Post as it was in the past?
1: What do I know about it? I mean, I I don't just I don't know the numbers of people with prominent papers that have run the story, but you know, I will tell you the response at Substack is astonishing. I, I didn't know much about Substack, but my friend of mine Matt Taibi told me that you don't underestimate it, and it's quite powerful. The story's out there; it's really out there everywhere. They had a million hits on that story within a day, and it's been going on and on and on and on. And I've written three or four more, and I'm writing another one. I'm going to be writing more about it, um, um, and so um, uh, it, it's as if what I hear from people who write me, who read stuff on the Substack and other places, is that they they understood that this kind of jur- journalism did did exist and had existed before. They just weren't seeing enough of it. I mean, we actually had a story the New York Times ran on page one, I think, for two days, about two or three years ago. And the Afghan war was still going on, and there were occasion that, the, and there were occasions shootings. The Afghans would occasionally shoot an American because they were very angry at what happened there. The Afghan army wasn't happy with our total control of most things there, and so you know, one of the stories said that Afghan soldiers, quote, quote, quoting anonymous sources, to speak of anonymous sources, that the Kremlin was paying bounties. For to Afghan soldiers that actually killed an American GI on duty in Afghanistan. And it was, you know, just um, the story disappeared because it was a complete fraud. But when you run that kind of stuff, you really lose credibility, you know, that kind of madness. The 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 xenophobia about Putin is, I guess, inevitable. You know, we always we've always like a there's a long list of 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 Hitlers we've had since Hitler. You know, we've just had a list of about 30 of them, you name them. Gaddafi was a Hitler at one time. You know, Bashar Assad is Saddam was, uh, Mao was, Joe and Lie was just and, and Gorbachev was. You know, these, we just go through it. We have these this great pension for Haiti and, and and Putin right now. And by the way, let me say, anybody that starts the most deadly war, bloody war in Western Europe since 1945, as Putin has done, you can't. You know, you can just marvel at what made him do commit this incredibly stupid act, no matter how much provocation he had, it wasn't unjust. We lied about expanding NATO to the east and uh, among other things and we we put missiles 800 miles capable of taking out downtown Moscow, much of Moscow. The warheads we have are so powerful now what, 100 times more powerful than the number vastly more powerful than the bombs he dropped over here, Hiroshima in Tokyo. And no, no, Hiroshima and to- and Tokyo, yeah, too. God damn it! Keep on thinking. We're the only country who worry so much about others in the bomb. We're the only country that actually used one, and we did it twice. So um, anyway, um, uh, we can talk all week about it. But the the media today, as you just said earlier, isn't the media it was when I was around. It's a mm-hmm. lot different. Yeah. Either you know, you either have you either like Fox or you like CNN and MSNBC, and none of them come close to giving you news. You know, yeah. MSM. they uh, if they're not talking about January sixth, they're talking about this guy who was elected to, a Republican to the House, who's sort of a—he's not, not only just a liar; he's really probably very sick. To mm-hmm. he enjoys being caught out. He's very—I mm-hmm. think he's very delusional. And, you know, he, he's not interesting to me. He's so crazy. Uh, what's his name, Sandoval What is his name, Sandoval? What's it? the one that's in trouble? Mm. The, remember, he was elected from. Uh, 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 a house, a house district that had some in Westchester, uh, or I, I think it was some in Brooklyn, and some uh, in one of the one of the New York counties farther east. Mm. Uh, but anyway, I don't know whatever mm. his name is. He's more of a crazy man than anything else. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm ready to go. One more. What else yeah, do you want?
0: well, I'll just ask one more question. I, I guess to kind of tack yeah. it off because it were ten days away from the uh, the 55th anniversary of Milai. Okay, and uh, I, I know that I heard that you went back to Milai decades later to to actually you know ch- check it out and uh, at the response uh, the uh, invitation by the Vietnamese government and and it turns out that you actually met a a survivor of of the massacre. Okay, so I, I was just wondering how that experience May have resolved or, or capped off this really historic uh, story that, that basically set you as a, as a force to be reckoned with in the journalistic world.
1: Oh, you could never cap it off; it's always there. I didn't know the anniversary is coming up. I, I don't. I don't take pleasure in, in that story. I mean, obviously, it was a big story for me. I was a freelance writer, and I'm writing about a massacre that took place a year and a half earlier, and it did change the course of the war, I think. But still, you know, I was in the Army as a grunt with the rifle, M1. And, you know, I went through basic training with a bunch of kids. And um, uh, I remember distinctly that there was some alert uh, dispute between North and South Korea. And we were put on alert, We were, which was crazy. We were almost, you know, 1961, 62. We couldn't care less about the Army. We did our thing, but we just waited to get out. And... Uh, um, and I remember I probably would have gotten on the plane and gone to Korea to fight the North Koreans or maybe the Chinese, who knows? And be murdered like we were in 1950, not because of the flag, but because of my colleagues. I had buddies and friends, and so you you wonder um, uh, the the kids who did what they did, you know, what their motives were. Uh, you know, I, look, it's just. Uh, the truth of the matter is that anybody who starts a war really is, you know, like Putin did. Although I must say the provocation was acute. And we had to know what we were doing. I think this administration has lost its mind about communism. The way they talk to the Chinese and the way they talk to the to the Russians is just it, it's not not credible. It's just crazy. It just doesn't make sense. They're just being totally provocative. I guess they think it doesn't you know, uh, Tony Blinken. The Secretary of State wouldn't go to his, uh, a meeting with his peers in China because of a balloon. Remember that?
2: Yeah. Couple of weeks <laughs> ago, because
1: of a balloon, weather For balloon sure. or whatever it was. You know, I mean, a balloon. <laughs> he canceled a meeting because of offended. I mean, it's just they're just, you know, uh, they're just children, mm. and this is a real serious business. And I'm sorry about the president's leadership, but it isn't there on this issue. Mm -hmm. and so let me leave it at that no I don't take pleasure in me I look I you know and by the way I was a ghetto kid by that I mean um, even though I went to the New York Times in the heyday of um, you know the people there were the editor of the Harvard Crimson and the Yale Daily News and stuff like that I grew up in Chicago my parents were immigrants first language wasn't even English even in the house And my father ran a a small laundry cleaning shop in the in the Washington in the Chicago's black ghetto on on thirty or forty fifth street in Indiana Avenue. and I worked there since thirteen. and when he got cancer when I was just fifteen, he died uh, two years later after a long, horrible evolving cancer that went from everywhere to his brain. and I was the least afraid of him in my house, so I could take care of him and, uh, and then I got a scholarship, you know, or I got I don't think I got a no fee. I paid hundred dollars a quarter to the University of Chicago, um, and uh, I got a good. I got an education there in the middle late nineteen fifties, in which you didn't read textbooks. You just read the original material. So I always learned. To, you learn to think for yourself. Critical thinking was the whole idea. So, um, uh, uh, and so I come to My Lai, Um Ten years later, I was, a, I was a police reporter, and I worked for the United Press covering a state House in North, South Dakota, which was fun. I'd never been there, and I spent a winter in South Dakota. And then I worked for the AP in Chicago, where I had a great time, and then in Washington, where I covered the war, covered the Pentagon. And then a couple of years later, I do Me Lai, and I'm 11 years out of college. Um, uh, I know no rich people. <laughs> And I do this story, sticking two fingers, the My story, about a massacre that was covered up by, the, by everybody. Kissinger, Nixon, you name them. And um, I'm Westmoreland who ran the war. I'm sticking two fingers in the eye of city, city president, uh, Ronald uh, uh, Richard Nixon. And um, in um, many countries in the world, I would have been in a gulag for doing it. Not here. Fame, fortune, and glory, right? Yeah. Changed my life. I became a player then. And um, um, uh, and and so you can't. There's no way I'm going to ever underestimate America and the freedom it has. Even though we have all these problems with guns, awful legislature. I mean, give me a break. When I was doing stuff on the war in the '70s for the New York Times. My friends were in the Senate, in the House, in the in the Democrats, and also there were many moderate Republicans. The, the, the famous War Powers Bill of 1973 that barred Nixon from using forces again in Vietnam was written by a Republican, a, a Republican senator of many years. I mean, that we had a different Congress. Can you imagine uh, Chuck Schumer, who's now the head of the Senate, calling for an investigation into, into uh, whether or not the White House was involved in the hitting of the pipelines? Not a chance. So yeah. it's a bad time. Anyway, I got to go back to work. I'm okay. glad I finally caught you.
0: Thank you If I you sound so cranky,
1: it's because I have a headache. Okay. And, uh, uh, but I'm back at work. And uh, thanks for being so forbearing, because we and I had to cancel stuff long in time. Uh, you're, the I, you're the only one I'm doing this week, I hope. Okay. Okay, Thank goodbye. you so Talk. much, sir.
0: That was my extensive conversation with the legendary award-winning journalist, Seymour Hirsch. Stay tuned. Ray McGovern is up next. 27-year career as a CIA analyst, Ray McGovern served as chief of the Soviet foreign policy branch and preparer briefer of the president's daily brief. Now that he is retired, he is a political activist and became the co-founder of Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity. Given his knowledge on Soviet foreign policy, I asked him to give us his take as a former intelligence analyst on the consistency of Putin's actions with Russian foreign policy interests. Here's what he said. Well,
2: Michael, um, this is a long story. I'll try to keep it short. But you talked about NATO waging a proxy war with Russia in Ukraine to the last Ukrainian, apparently. Well, it's not NATO, for God's sake, you know. With all due respect, it's really nice to have you Canadians aboard. (laughs) We're running the show. Don't forget We're the exceptional country. And, you know, if you keep uh, tying your apron strings to us, that's really nice. But you don't count for anything. Nothing. So we're running this show. We thought that uh, we could put offensive strike missiles on the border of Ukraine right across from Russia. The border separating Ukraine and Russia. Do people know that? No, people don't know that. Why is that? Because the press is part of this, what I call the the Mickey mat. Now that requires a little explanation. Uh, President Eisenhower, before he left office, he was a general, and he saw the pressures after World War II. The pressures attending these uh, these firms that were that were kind of profiteering on making weapons really people didn't need. And he he said, look, there's this military industrial complex and you gotta be careful because it's accretion of power is a danger to our democracy. And the only antidote to that is a well-informed citizenry. Oh, he was dead right on that, dead right. We ain't got a well-informed citizenry, why? Well, because the MIC, the MIC, has expanded to what I call the Mickey mat. Okay. Got a pencil? (laughs) You can remember it because it sort of rhymes with Mickey Mouse. Okay. Here it is. Mickey mat. Military, industrial, congressional, intelligence, media, academia, think tank complex. Why do I say? Media, like, as if it's in all caps, because the media is the linchpin here. The media is preventing a well-informed citizenry because they're part of the rest of the media. Actually, they're the cornerstone, as they said. So Canadians, Americans, they have been brainwashed into hating Vladimir Putin into not even entertaining any alternative uh, explanation from the one you gave that he's crazy and he's mean and he, he's another Hitler <laughs> and no one is able to understand why it is that he did what he did. Whether it's legal or illegal doesn't matter right now because it was unprovoked and that's the major thing. And that's where you have to realize that this was provoked know, ad infinitum. I'll give you one little example. Uh, There's a fellow named uh, William Burns. Now, he happens to be head of the CIA now. But before he went there, he, he, he was a pretty accomplished diplomat. He knew a lot of stuff, and he had been posted in important posts like Moscow. So the date is February 1st, 2008. And going around and about are rumors that the next NATO meeting in Bucharest, scheduled for the 1st of April, what two months later, is going to say Ukraine and Georgia will become members of NATO. Now, uh, the, the Russians, of course, knew this. And so Mr. Sergei Lavrov, who happens to still be the foreign minister, called. Mr Burns Mr William Burns our ambassador in moscow in the foreign ministry said Mr Burns do you know what net means Burns <laughs> well, I suppose so net means net you are talking about making ukraine and georgia members of nato net that is our red line If that happens, there'll be civil war in Ukraine, probably. We will almost certainly have to decide whether or not we send Russian troops in there to intervene. Net means net, tell your folks. So, to his credit, (laughs) to his credit, Ambassador Burns sends a cable back with the the title, Net means net, Moscow's Red Line on Admission of Ukraine and Georgia. To NATO, clear as can be. In his ambassador's comment, he says, you know, the Russians are really and truly upset about this. I mean, they they have their own geo geopolitical concerns and strategic concerns right on their border. And you know, it's it's understandable that I mean, the Russians have those. <laughs> so in those days, William Birds was a pretty straight shooter. He sends it back to Dick Cheney and Kunga Lisa Rice and another fellow who, was, who oh yeah, the little Bush, Joy, Junior Bush. And they say, screw you, uh, we're going to do what we want to do. And so two months later at the Bucharest summit, uh, the final declaration says Ukraine and Georgia will become members of NATO, period, end quote. Okay, now, why do I mention all that? Well, number one, we know that in a very real way because we have that cable from Embassy Moscow. Is it genuine? Well, if I've seen in my duties as the chief of the Soviet foreign policy branch, I probably saw three or 4,000 of those cables. Yes, it's genuine. Now, and we get it. Thank Julian Assange. And this incredible method he instituted where people could take something like that, put it up at the ether, and it can come down in re-governance computer, for God's sake. Okay. So it's authentic. It's documentary. And the point is that this same Bill Burns, you know, who was told by Sergei Lavrov in 2008, this would be a provocation that we would have to r- respond to, now says... The Russian invasion of Ukraine was unprovoked. It was unprovoked. Now, that's that's sad because the head of intelligence is not supposed to be part of the propaganda team. Uh, he's not supposed to feel like he has to join the president's team in the White House. He's not on the president's team. He's supposed to tell the president's team and the president personally what the what the scoop really is. And if he has told the president this was unprovoked, well, then he has, the president has no no place except to for for what we write in Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity. And we've written Biden four memos so far, and there's no indication that he has been able to read it or even be given it. But so what he's captive to are these exceptional people who think that they can do exceptional things and bureaucrats, bureaucrats like Bill Burns, who will fall in and just, you know, repeat the PR stance. There was some speculation when Burns was appointed to the CIA that he would be the so-called adult in the room, right? Okay, well, he has the 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 white mane uh, to be an adult, and he's got the ears, too. But he's been an utter disappointment to me. And the sorrowful thing is Biden probably doesn't have a clue that he's being ill-served, not only by Bill Burns, but by, you know, it's the Biden, Blinken, Nolan, Solid. I mean, it sounds like a crooked law firm. It sounds like <laughs> Dewey. Do we <laughs> cheat them and how? Do you remember from from Car Talk? Do we cheat them and how? Yeah. Well, I mean, these guys are. Well, let me just say one thing before I stop, stop this little soliloquy, yeah. and that is that the New York Times has a really really interesting piece out today, and it says we have been looking into who blew up the Nord Stream pipelines. <laughs> mm-hmm. On September 26th, and we have new no information, and we're collecting this new. We think it. Yeah, we think it. We think it might have been the Ukrainians.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Maybe
2: not Zelensky, but but a kind of a a rogue element of the, so the but Ukrainians. Now we're not sure about that, but. We have all this information, we're compiling now and, and we're gonna sh- consult with the Danes and the Swedes and the Germans, and we we'll look at it all. We'll we think was the Ukrainians. Now, that is risible, a new word I, I learned in, in analyzing US propaganda. Risible, for those of you who don't know, is laughable, okay? But it's also highly enlightening, in what sense? I think finally it's getting through the heads of people, the CIA who who run that uh, broadsheet called the New York Times, that the war is not going well in Ukraine, that Congress is likely to cut off funding for the war, that the Russians are on the move. And that we're going to have to get Zelensky out there the same way we got other dictators that we supported. And then when they were of no further use, we sort of ditched them. So there have been a lot of straws in the wind that Zelensky is being criticized in sort of uh, tangential ways. But this is in its own obscure way, obscurantist, I would say, uh, the best straw in the wind that I've seen uh, that Zelensky may not be long for this world in terms of being head of uh, Ukraine. He's got a nice, don't worry about him. I mean, he and his wife have these nice places. Uh, I think of the Seychelles or the Riviera or something. They, they'll be okay, okay? They probably won't be assassinated like uh, Allende or like uh, the Ukrainian Mosetek or or uh, like what uh, No Nhu Zin Ziem, the head of South Vietnam, way back when John Kennedy first took over. So, so yeah, he'd be treated nice. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen to the neo Nazis up there in Kiev, but they'll they'll find a pretty hospitable place in of all places, Poland, Hungary. Yeah, suffered suffered greatly under Nazis, the proto Nazis, the early Nazis not too long ago.
0: That was retired CIA analyst turned political and peace activist Ray McGovern. You can get more of his thoughts and essays on his website, raymcgovern.com. Next week, we take a look at modern threats to journalism in Ukraine and around the world. Join us in seven days. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Centre for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show airs on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been your host, Michael Welch. Thanks once again for joining us.